I don't know. I'm, I would like to just make a motion that we make grace and peace, y'all, the Glenwood official greeting. Right? I mean, is that just not so inviting and comforting when, when Dana gets up here and just grace and peace, y'all? So, grace and peace, y'all. Hello, church. It is good to be with you this morning and good to see you this morning. I have two confessions. First, yes, that is an actual picture of me that invites the children to go to the children worship area that was taken about 35 years ago. And I think too highly of myself. No, it's true. It's true. I, and, and I discovered this recently when I was having a conversation with my mother. I was, I was watching documentaries and a, and a TV show about the Watergate hearings. And everything about it seemed so familiar. And so I texted my mom and I said, I think I've discovered my first memory of a news story. And, and it was, I just, it, it, some of it seemed so familiar to me. The pictures seemed so vivid and clear. It was that sense of, of deja vu where it's tangible, where I know I've experienced this before. And so I texted my mom about it. And my mom said, I don't really remember it. And I'm like, you were an adult. You were, you were, you were adulting during that time. You were, you were a voting person of voting age. You were, you, were, you were a part of the fabric of our nation. And she said, well, I was busy being a wife, a mom, and a stepmom. And so I don't really remember it. And I thought, well, this is why history keeps repeating itself. Because nobody's paying attention, except, you know, a three-year-old kid watching the news. But then as I thought about it, I realized that there's a lot of things I miss, too. There's a lot of things that are, that are big in, in our lives right now. There are a lot of things th that, that are happening, and we have information flowing past us faster and, and more frequently than it's ever done it before. And there are just some things that I either miss or that I don't want to take the time for. I'm fine. Everybody heard that, right? <laughs> Man, I thought my M&Ms wore off. I was in trouble. Yeah. But we, we just, we just kind of miss things sometimes. And, and I say that this morning, and I bring that up this morning, because we are, we've, been, we've spent the last 11 weeks talking about the Ten Commandments, and, and as we've talked about them, we, we kind of gloss over the fact that the whole nation of Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're in the foothills. They're waiting. As God has descended on this mountain, as, as clouds and smoke have billowed down around it, and as lightning flashes, and as the earth shakes, and as Moses is who knows where, doing who knows what, I'm wondering if there aren't some people at the base of the mountain that are just like, hey, what's going on? And I say that because it's important that these things were written down. Because it's not just important that God said all these things, it's, it's important that they, were, that they were written down. 
Because to be the people of God in the promised land to which they were headed, they would need a reminder and they would need to practice. They would need to put these, these commands, they would need to put these things into action in their daily lives. And so they would need to practice. And if you know anything about traveling, especially traveling with children involved, it's hard to practice good manners and good behavior when you're on a trip together. Right? I mean, it, it, everybody gets on everybody's nerves, so they're going to have to work this out. They're going to have to be applying these things. They're going to have to be working on all of these things. This whole not stealing thing and, and, and the adultery thing to not do and, 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 and bearing false witness and, you know, telling stories about, oh, you know, family three rows back or whatever. They've got to put all of that into practice. And the last one that they have to put into practice that we read this morning is they can't covet. I don't even know what covet means. I mean, it's kind of, a, kind of an old-fashioned word, right? We don't, we don't really use that word much anymore. We don't, we, don't, we don't pretend that we are highfalutin and, and, and know these, these large, important words very often. And so covet's not one of them. So I had to kind of look and dig through it and, and move around it. And, and you know, it's actually one of the seven deadly sins. It is. It's envy. We know what envy is, don't we? Oh, yeah, we know what envy is. When our brother or sister gets a cool birthday present just before our birthday's coming around, and we go, huh, but I'm getting one of them next. Right? Or your neighbor gets a new car, and you're like, ooh, that's nice. A lot better than that old thing I'm driving. Some of you know that, that Dawn's car was, was uh, entangled this week. Um, uh, it was approached rapidly by someone running a red light, and their, uh, their, their braking system didn't function uh, like it does in the commercials, and so we have a rental car for her now. And I took it Friday night to go pick up dinner that we'd ordered, and I'm driving around. And, you know, I drive a Mini Cooper real low to the ground. It's like driving a go-kart, zips around. But I'm driving this SUV that we've got, and I'm like, yeah, I can see everything. I need a truck. I told Dawn about that, and I said, yeah, until I fill it up this morning, or until we fill it up this week, and then I'll be really glad that I have my Mini Cooper. But envy is one of those things that just kind of, it just kind of latches on to us. And it works really good in close proximity, right? Works really good with family members, with people that we know really well. And it starts out as just kind of like, well, that's kind of cool. I'd, I'd like to have one of those. But it builds. Envy, envy is its own punishment. Because it doesn't end. It just keeps growing and stretching and overwhelming and overtaking until all of a sudden you're like, can't believe they went out and bought that new car like that. They can't afford those payments. I know what they make. I got the same job they do. And we start to criticize. We start to, we start to hate on them a little bit. We start to, we start to demean them. 
approximately of our criticism are rooted in envy. So I think it's a good thing that God's telling his people, these people that are going to be the kingdom of priests in the promised land into which they're going, these people that are going to communicate the grace of God, the mercy of God, the magnificence of God in the world around them are told, hey, don't look at your neighbor's stuff and want it to the point that it causes you to be ungracious. To the point that it causes you to be judgmental. To the point that it causes you to not be able to have joy for a joyful thing in your neighbor's life. So that's what covet is. It's envy. Drags us down. It demoralizes us. And it creates, instead of a culture of love your neighbor as yourself, to a culture of compete with your neighbor. Because he's got better things than you. To malign your neighbor, because he doesn't deserve those things. To attack your neighbor, and to dehumanize your neighbor. It unravels the fabric of the community. So it's a good thing that these things are written down, right? Because we're going to have to practice some of these things. We're going to have to practice these things. And and Benjamin's taken us from, from the overarching command of do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And he's taken us to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he has showed us in those that it's much more than just a physical action but it's the mindset that we carry and it's the feelings that we have in our heart that compel us to begin to act out of these things. This do not covet doesn't need one of those. It doesn't need an an explanation because we know as we look on our neighbor and we see the things that we have and if we begin to long for them and if we begin to be enticed by them, it will completely change us as a person. So we need to practice. Practice is important. Right? I used to, our theater teacher in in high school, two things she told me that stuck with me. One was never be afraid to make a fool out of yourself for your art. Now I've changed that in my adult life and now it's never be afraid to make a fool out of yourself for your Lord. The other one was practice doesn't make perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. And I remember that because she drilled it into us as we were rehearsing or whatever, you know, for whatever play or whatever we were doing. But she's not right in that. Because I can never practice anything to the point where I will be perfect. Perfect's just not in me. When I, if, if somebody asks me to do a wedding, the first thing I tell them is go, okay, now you realize there have never, there has never been a perfect wedding. And because of who you've asked to minister to this one, this one will not be the first. Right? I mean, because it's just as slick on the inside as it is on the outside sometimes. I forget things. I just completely space out and, and misremember things. So the point of practice is not to be perfect. The point of practice 
is so that we can develop a habit in our life. We can develop a way of doing things where we can't not do it right. That's why we practice. We practice because it becomes, it becomes an essence of who we are. It's part of what Paul's talking about when he tells the people in Romans 12, do not conform to the habits of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Practice renews our mind. But it can't just stop there. When our daughter was learning to drive, she knew the lines on the page. She knew the exact things you were supposed to do. She knew how to drive. But you know what? She didn't know how to drive. Scared her poor mama to death a few times. She looked at me one day and said, you're going to have to ride with her. I can't do it anymore. I said, okay, babe, that's fine. And then I realized that I can scream like a little child too. Practice is first happens in the mind, but then it's also got to happen in the hands and in the feet and in the mouth. And then the heart, it's, it's, it's got to it, become a part of who we are. It's got to become the fabric of our being. It's got to become the basics of how we live our life and the things that we choose to say and to do. And Jesus felt like, felt like it, it was important because he tells Peter, yeah, you got to just keep forgiving until it becomes your natural act. So we got to ask ourselves as we end the series on the Ten Commandments, which one's the most important? Well, it's a good thing that's already been asked, right? Guy comes to Jesus and he says, okay, which one? Pick one. Tell me which one's most important. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this, all the law and the prophets are summed up. It's the complete package right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor, love them as yourself. Well, the natural question, of course, was who's my neighbor? Because the Jews, it was just those of the Hebrew community, just the children of Abraham. But Jesus pushes that out a little bit. He increases the definition of we. And he does it by using the story of the Samaritan who helps a wounded man. And he says, who of them was a neighbor? Who did something neighborly? Who acted it out? Who practiced this not coveting, this not blaming, this not judging, but instead offered assistance? offered help Jesus increases the idea of neighbor as just if there's two of you the neighbor is the other person Paul takes it a little further in Romans chapter 13 he says let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. 
and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So how do we not covet? We practice. And where do we practice? Right here. I know, I know, we show up to worship, to glorify God, to sing His praises, and to worship Him. But you know what part of that worship is? We are practicing loving one another. I'm not sure if you're aware of this this morning, but there are people in this auditorium who belong to a different political party than you do. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but there are people in this room who have committed every sin that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7 that struggle with them, that wrestle with them, that are trying to live true and faithful lives. There are people in this room from seven generations, I think. I don't know. I'm not a math guy, but let's count them. Boomers, uh, Gen X, Millennials, Gen Zs, and, and I'm sorry, I don't know the next name of what they're naming the next group of kids. That's at least five. Do you know that? And look at us. We're all in here practicing loving one another. It can be tough. It can be real tough. Because some of y'all are a little difficult to love. Now, I just know that because I'm difficult to love, and I just, I'm sure there are some of you out there like me. Right? Maybe. But we practice this. And why do we practice this love in this place? Because it's the mission that we have been set out upon. It is our job to communicate the love of God to the people around us, to the neighbors, the people that are not us. And we practice it in here until we can get it right, until it becomes the natural expression of our faith. And we practice it when we're posting on social media. And we practice it when we're talking about other people. And we practice it when we are talking to other people. And we do that in here, in this melting pot, to where we can get it down to where it's our natural thing that we do so that when we go out there, we don't default. But we continue to practice Loving our neighbor as ourself. I'm convinced. I'm no doctor, but I'm going to make a diagnosis. I am convinced that the hatefulness in our society, it's not because we don't love God, but it's because we don't love our neighbor. But that leads us into a sticky wicket. Because the book of John tells us that if we don't love those who we can see, we need to be careful about proclaiming loving a God who we cannot see. 
as we live in this world, the world is going to continue to make decisions that the world does. And we have to stop being surprised when the world acts like the world. And we simply need to start acting and being who we are training to be. That we are training to be the expression of God's love for the world, which he gave Jesus to save. And he still has that same love. He still has that same adoration. So today, don't you leave here without practicing loving somebody that's difficult to love. Don't you leave here today without experiencing the love from somebody else. This is one of the reasons that we gather as the people of God. This is one of the reasons and one of the ways in which we practice expressing the love that God shares with us. And this is what propels us into the world to share that love with every person we meet. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the record of the written word. May we not just read it and store it in our minds for knowledge. But instead, may we practice it. May we try it on. May we live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.